Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Silver 7's live on this Thursday. College basketball games going on all over the place, especially here in Las Vegas. And Curtis Terry does his weekly spot. Curtis always tries to grab one of his uh, former basketball playing friends. In this case, Curtis, what a get. This must have been a tough one. I mean, I don't know. I had to go go deep in my Rolodex to be able to pull this one out of the hat, but I uh, was able to, to secure a big one somehow. Got got him on the runway. Yeah, former NBA player Jason Terry, Arizona staffer Jason Terry is here with us. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you guys? We're good, good. You know how that goes. We're good. We're real good. We're real good. So uh, tell people what you're doing in town as uh, the Pac-12 is in Vegas. Well, I'm just in town. Obviously, this year we're, we're under a uh, postseason self-imposed ban. Uh, so we will not be participating in the tournament. But uh, it is my first year on the job, so I just wanted to get a sense of what the Pac-12 tournament was all about, the atmosphere. Obviously, there's no fans, but I just want to see from an X and O perspective, you know, get a little scouting in, a little, little, little intel, so to speak. I'm going to check out the Oregon game tonight. They play a tough matchup zone that we, we have problems trying to crack. So hopefully I can gain some knowledge and some insight into what they're doing uh, with that uh, matchup zone. And Joe, we'll talk about the Pac-12's chances in the NCAA tournament, but, I mean, what did you learn and what did you guys see this season um, at U of A with the group that you guys had on the court? What were you guys able to accomplish? Well, the one thing we knew from the outset uh, when we put the group together is that, you know, we were inexperienced. Uh, We had four freshmen, three that started, that played significant minutes for us. But an overall, from a team perspective, the inexperience was because we only had one guy that returned from last year that actually played. Um, you know, we had James Akinjo, who was all conference first team this year, uh, transferred in from Georgetown. So he had set out Jordan Brown was, uh, another transfer that set out from Nevada. He was the PAC 12, six man of the year this year. Uh, so we really didn't have much experience. Uh, Terrell Brown, who, uh, transferred in from Seattle university, uh, gave us some good quality minutes and a, a steady in force, but he was also new to the team. So a lot of new faces. Uh, it definitely took them some time to get adjusted to coach and his system. And, you know, from there, I thought we had a decent season, though. I mean, these guys competed hard. They put the work in and uh, they got better. And that's the thing when you have a young group of guys, you want to see the development stage of it uh, more so than anything. And I think our guys developed and they got better in year one. Yeah, and I, and I think, I, I mean, I texted you on Tuesday morning when the Pac-12 awards came out. I always got James Akinjo first team, uh, Jordan Brown sixth man. Uh, Tabellis was uh, all freshmen, as well as Matherin. I mean, I, I said the future looks bright in Arizona. I mean, what do you guys foresee with this young group continuing to grow? But then also when you talk about the potential of guys getting a free year and a transfer coming up this offseason. Well, for us, we're very optimistic that we can bring uh, all these guys back next year. And, you know, hopefully we will not – we will be in the postseason next year, and so that gives us a, a lot of hope. But having these guys this year with, you know, COVID hopefully will subside. We'll have these guys on campus for off-season training. Uh, in football, they call it OTAs, right? But we just call it off-season training, and I think our guys will get a tremendous advantage uh, by starting three weeks early. You know, teams are still in the conference tournaments. Then you have the NCAA tournament. We will be have done two weeks no basketball, and then we'll get back started. And the regular or the season is still not over yet for everybody else around the country. So we'll have a huge advantage, and we want to get our guys going as soon as possible. Uh, a lot of our guys physically, 
just aren't mature enough yet because, again, they're freshmen, 17-, 18-year-old kids uh, that have a lot of room to grow. And then we have some others that, you know, struggle to put on weight. But in a full offseason, oh, you right here. <laughs> we have a full offseason with these guys. We honestly believe that we'll be an odds-in favorite if we bring everybody back to win the Pac-12 championship next year. It's the voice of uh, Jason Terry here on ESPN Las Vegas and Cofield and Company. Curtis Terry's alongside. Keep going, Curtis. No, I mean, my next question was in terms of, like you mentioned, not having that offseason. I know here at UNLV, we brought in a group with six freshmen, 11 new faces on the team. Only two guys played last year of our group. But then you look at, at teams like Kentucky. You look at teams like Duke. Um, Michigan State even. They had a lot of young guys, and they struggled this year. But then you look at Gonzaga, Baylor. A lot of the teams that are more experienced seem to start off the season well. Did you guys notice that not having um, a full summer, a full fall, um, and a full preseason leading up to the season impact you guys? Or how did your group uh, be able to make that adjustment? I know you said physically they were well, but in terms of skill set, learning the, the schemes, kind of what did you guys notice? Yeah, we were behind is, is what I noticed. And, you, you know, I mean, I won't use that as an excuse for our performance this year. You know, it was kind of uh, average. But I will say the rest of the country went through the same thing we did. But it, it was very noticeable. I mean, you could you could see where, you know, if you had a full off season of training, strength, conditioning, uh, skill, fundamental development, uh, system development. You could see where there would be confidence through the work that they would put in. And there were just times this year, especially when we got into conference play, where our guys just weren't ready. And uh, though we did have some good games, uh, some good stretches, that, that we seen some improvement, we just knew the consistency of it stems to not having a full offseason. I mean, that's and Steve, that's what we've talked about a lot on the UNLV broadcast, right? Obviously, just a, a lot of young guys. I um, mean, in the course, we were able to win a couple games. We were able to win a big game at Kansas State on the road, but then we went on a 33-day pause due to COVID. But then there was just a lot of ups and downs. And like you talked about, Jed, I mean, you, you played good, but then you guys just aren't able to, to, to win close games late, um, aren't able to hold leads late in the game. And that's something that, that really impacted us at UNLV. And I know, Steve, we talked about that around the country. A lot of teams are experiencing that. And uh, even TJ uh, Altsberg, the head coach here at, at UNLV, he said that had he known that COVID was coming and that this was the kind of season that we were going to have and no, no offseason, no fall, that he would have recruited differently and try to build a, a more older, experienced team as yeah. opposed to bringing in a bunch of freshmen, a bunch of new guys. Not a knock on them, but they're just not experienced and not ready, kind of like you talked about. Yeah, and some programs are more fortunate than others. Ours was a little less fortunate because we actually had three super stud freshmen last year. I was not on staff, but I do know Josh Green, Nico Mannion, and Zeke Nanji all went to the NBA and got drafted. And so those were three big holes you had to fill. Um, you never can predict those things. You know, those things can kind of happen. But as you said, in recruiting is kind of where you can kind of project and forecast like, okay, I want to have this particular type team. And for us going forward, we definitely want to kind of build our program on guys that will be in college two, three years. Because when you look at teams that win the NCAA championship, I can't go back too far to tell you, you know, other than maybe a couple of those Kentucky teams where they had guys that were freshmen and it turned into, you know, postseason success. Right. The older veteran teams, when you get late in the season in March, I mean, in February and March, those are the teams that have success. You look at teams like Virginia, Villanova, right? Those are the programs that have postseason success. And those are kind of, you know, the teams that we want to kind of model our success after as we as we go forward. 
Curtis Terry's here. Jason Terry is with us, the former NBA players on the Arizona staff. Uh, let's talk Pac-12 tournament a little bit. Uh, just give me your impression on the best team that you guys faced during the regular season, and is that the same team that you think will do the most damage in the NCAA tournament? Which team in the conference is most NCAA tournament ready? Yeah, I, I, I got to say it's Oregon. You know, and Oregon, you know, to their, their credit, they went through COVID, as did a couple other programs in our conference, but they missed two to three weeks of the season, and then they had to fast forward, get back on the horse, and, and, and go after it. And they did, and, and they have the talent. They have some older guys. You know, they have a junior college transfer. They got Duarte, who's older, a veteran player. Um, and so they have that experience. But what they have that's very dangerous is they have depth and length at every position. Like when you're talking about 6'5 point guard, 6'6, six, 6'8, six, six, you know, then they got their hybrids that they'll play. Uh, Almond Ure, who, you know, he easily could have been the Pac-12 player of the year. I love his game. You know, but he he's a guy that can bang you inside, but he can also take you outside, and he poses a tremendous threat because he'll bring your bigs away from the basket. So along with a, a, a crazy stout defense that is stingy, that is a matchup zone that just gives teams nightmares, um, you know, they shoot the ball offensively extremely well from three. And so that's a team that in the tournament, they can be a problem because you just don't have enough time to prepare for their style of play. You have to face it. You have to see it and feel it over and over again. The other team I'll say is uh, USC. You know, USC has probably the the number one pick in the draft this year um, in Evan Mobley. Uh, he dominated. I mean, he cleaned up in the postseason awards, freshman of the year, uh, newcomer of the year, defensive player of the year. I mean, player of the year. Like, he dominated. And his play spoke for itself. Defensively, tremendous rebounder, shot blocker. And then offensively, I mean, he's a bucket. Matchup nightmare. Um, and then they had a, a senior, redshirt senior guard in Taj Eady who, you know, towards the end of the season, he's averaging 24, 25 points a game. So I like USC. Don't know how far they can go. But if I had to pick, I'd say Oregon will go the furthest uh, in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I, th I think I'm with you. I think Dan Altman does a great job up there. Obviously, UNLV fans are familiar with Oregon. Uh, former UNLV player Mari Hardy is now at Oregon. Yeah. His brother, Jaden Hardy, obviously the big-time recruit uh, mm -hmm. coming out of Coronado High School here in Las Vegas. We, we know we're not going to get you in trouble talking about any recruits and things like that. No. Uh, but, but, <laughs> but we know that Arizona is a big-time school, and they try to, try to go after those, those, those blue-chip recruits. Um, and obviously, I think the, the Pac-12 is going to be a, a tough league. Obviously, I think it was a little up and down this year on the course of the season. Uh, what, what did you see from, from Mick Cronin and his group over at UCLA? I mean, this is his second year on the job over there, but what do you think he's building and do they have potential to be able to sneak yeah. in that back door of the NCAA tournament? Hated to not mention Mick Cronin and the job he did with UCLA, but when you have experience like they did and a point guard that is a true floor general in Tiger Campbell, uh, they're going to be dangerous. I mean, you know, they gave us matchup problems as well because they play these, you know, small ball lineups, so to speak, but I don't really think it's small ball. I mean, when you're talking about guys, again, at the four and the five is six, seven, six, eight, six, six. Uh, Jaime Jaquez is a, a matchup nightmare. Uh, the, you know, they're, they're dangerous. You know, they score the ball very well. They're efficient. Um, you know, you can take advantage on them uh, defensively uh, because they don't have quite the foot speed at, at all positions. But I'm telling you, offensively, they can fill it up with some of the best teams across the country. Curtis Terry, Jason Terry is with us, 
former NBA player. Curtis, you want to get into a couple of NBA topics before we uh, let your brother move along to his uh, his day at hand, whether it's golf or diving in the pool? Yeah. Oh, you know, we, we can't let the Jeff fly out of here without talking some NBA. Like you mentioned, 19-year veteran Jason Terry. Now, Jed, obviously you played 19 years in the league. You played uh, with a handful of superstars, all-stars, um, on some great teams, won an NBA championship. Uh, but the first place I want to start is, is your boy Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah. Not only two-time MVP, two-time defensive player of the year, but also just recently won the All-Star Game MVP. What did you see from Giannis and his his progression as he makes his way through his career, also just signing the Supermax contract? But what do you see on the horizon for him as well? Well, my last two years in the league, I was very fortunate and blessed to be able to play alongside Giannis and also watch his growth and development. Uh, he's a tremendous, tireless worker. Uh, he's a guy that you know if you've been in that, that facility that – like he's a fierce competitor and, you know, he doesn't want to join teams and forces with superstars. He wants to be the best and he wants to beat you. Like he wants to play old school basketball. And if you watch the way he dominates the game, you know, from a power center point center, whatever you want to call him, he's just a freak, just like his nickname. Um, he, he's, he's a evolution revolutionized the game uh, because the way he plays it. I mean, there's not many guys at seven feet, that can run the floor, run a team, defend, rebound the way he does. He's just a unique individual, but he has the intangibles. And when I talk about intangibles, I'm talking about the championship work ethic, the championship grit and determination uh, to lead and to inspire his teammates and make his teammates better. Um, Can they win the East? I don't know. Brooklyn is tough. If you look at what they've assembled, it's, it's just hard not to pick Brooklyn to come out of there. When you talk about a healthy Kevin Durant, I played with James Harden. I know what he's all about. And then a, a, a guy like Kyrie Irving. And now they've added Blake Griffin. I mean, this team is just loaded. And so it's going to be tough for Giannis to, to overcome and, and get to the finals. But I know one thing about it. Before he retires, Giannis will be in the NBA finals. And hopefully he'll be able to raise that trophy. You heard it here first on Cofield & Company. Jet says Giannis is going to be in the NBA Finals, going to raise the Larry O'Brien trophy at some point. We're going to hold him to it. Uh, but that leads me to our next point. I mean, you, you mentioned the East, the Nets, James Harden, your former teammate. Uh, he, he took a lot of flack back in, in January, actually beginning of the season, when he was kind of forcing a trade, wanted to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Understandably so. He spent a good portion of his career there, had, had tons of success. You were on a couple teams there with him. What is it that you see with James in terms of him being able to transform his game to what he's doing now, being a pass-first point guard, but still being able to dominate, put up 30-point triple-doubles. Because there was a knock on him. There's hard rules, right, where James, if you got two days off, James is going to fly to Vegas, James is going to party, but James is going to come back and drop a 50-point triple-double. What is the misconception that people don't understand about James Harden, the basketball player? Well, well, James has not changed his game at all. I mean, he's playing the same game he played in Houston. Uh, He's just doing it a little more efficiently. And it's the same. Like the numbers, if you look at them, they don't lie. They're, they're the same. I mean, he has a couple more assists, but he also has some better shooters around him. I mean, I mean, you got Kyrie Irving as your wingman. Uh, then the system is, is very similar. When I see a guy like Bruce Brown playing the five and he's six, seven, it's kind of what they were doing in Houston when Chris Paul was there with James. So the system is no different. The ball is in his hands just as much, maybe even more now. Uh, than ever but him just saying okay I'm the point guard is the only difference Uh, it's funny how you know perception changes overnight you know when you change situations but 
They used to talk so much about how poor of a defender he is. You don't really hear that as much anymore. Like, they're just talking about these triple-doubles that he's dropping, but he's been dropping them same triple-doubles, uh, and they're winning. I think that's the difference as well, too. They were winning in Houston, but you're in the Eastern Conference now. You're going to beat up on a, a lot more teams. And, you know, all I can say is a, a change of scenery is, is probably the only thing that's different. His game is definitely the same. Jason, that was awesome. We appreciate the time. I know you're real busy, yep. so thank you so much. Thank you. Talk to you all soon. Awesome spot there with the former NBA player Jason Terry. He's now on the staff with Arizona in town to scout the Pac-12 tournament. Curtis is going to rejoin us in about an hour as we get you ready for the 6 o'clock tip. UNLV trying to pull the upset on second-seeded Utah State in the Mountain West Conference Tournament quarterfinals. With 77-cent Bud Light bottles, Golden Knights hockey game nights are great at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. You just heard from Curtis Terry and uh, Jason Terry. Curtis will be back with us around uh, 4.15. Nice enough to uh, hop on the horn a couple times during the show. He'll get us all ready for the UNLV and Utah State game at 6 o'clock right here on ESPN Las Vegas. You heard it. Hanging at Silver 7s. We're uh, tracking all the college basketball action on this Thursday afternoon. Reno off to a quick start early, still holding a 10-point lead, make it uh, eight now. Reno on top of Boise. This is five against four, 42 to 34, and Boise has to win this game. They're not getting in the tournament if they lose this game. Yeah, I think these Mountain West teams, there's four that have a shot of getting in to the tournament. I know there's been some kind of, you know, some kind of push. Maybe the Mountain West could get four. I don't think that's happening. I think three is more likely. As of last night, Adam, last four in, according to Bracketology and Lenardi, Drake, Boise State, Colorado State, Syracuse. So Boise cannot lose. Right. Uh, But what I was going to say is that they're going to be looking for reasons to not give the Mountain West those bids, not looking for reasons to get them in like they do with other, uh, you know, power conferences. So, you know, you you don't want to lose early. I think if you – the only chance you have a four is if the four – teams in the semifinals are the four it's the it's those four teams that are you know well San Diego State uh, advanced already but they were already going to be in but you just need a Boise Colorado State and Utah State as the other three teams to have any chance of getting four in if you're the conference uh, obviously UNLV is looking to upset that tonight by trying to knock Boise State out of there but uh, that's the only way you would ever possibly get four and I think you'd have to have you know Utah State uh, boy what trying to figure out how it can play out. But you'd have to have two of the real real bubble teams meet in the finals uh, to really make that happen. Uh, but, yeah, so like a Boise State championship game against Colorado State, like those two teams would probably get in and uh, see how Utah State could fare there. But uh, the only chance of, uh, of the four is if those four are the four teams in the semis and uh, all these teams today are looking to upset that. Man, Reno, 7 of 10. 7 of 10 from deep. Sherfield just hit one from the corner. Defender right in front of him, just lifted over him, makes it. So uh, he's got 14, Cambridge has 13, and that explains why Reno with 342, the under four timeout left in the first half, has 48 on the board. Uh, that is a very high amount of points, definitely more than was expected in this game uh, today uh, to be happening right now. I mean, I think, I think everybody thought it was kind of going to be up-tempo, but when teams don't miss like that, uh, it really drives up the point total, and Boise State's going to have a tough time getting back in. They're going to need Reno to cool off because if, if they make 70% of their threes, <laughs> I'm going to go out of limb and say they're going to win the game. Brave stuff, man. 
Brave stuff. Yes. Uh, Pac-12 in town. Oregon, a winner. Uh, Jason Terry was just talking about the Ducks as the most dangerous team. Man, they came on late in the season once they got a rhythm. Uh, Today, UNLV transfer Amari Hardy. Remember him, right? He had 11 off the bench in 18 minutes. Uh, Oregon was led by another transfer, and LJ Figueroa from St. John's. Uh, He had 21. Another transfer, Eugene Omaruyi from Rutgers. He had 15. So sounds, it's all. Sounds like it hurts you a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Um, especially the way it went down because it happened in May, <laughs> which is kind of a late move to go cross country. But, you know, we know the way Oregon operates. So they've collected all this talent and it's really coming together. And they destroyed Arizona State it's and Hurley 91 73, which now, you know, we were talking about coaching angles early in the show about. Minnesota potentially opening up, and Brian Dutcher going bye-bye. Iowa State could open up, and T.J. Altsberger and Craig Smith and Nico Medved in the conference could be candidates for that gig. There are going to be some people in the Northeast who are going to be coming hard after Bob Hurley to go back to his roots, yeah. like Boston College, which is has not been a good job. But, I mean, if they put up massive money, I don't know what he does with Arizona State. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, I would – I would take, take into consideration that it's a great place to live, and I would probably think about staying out there. But uh, if you, you know, if somebody's going to throw a bunch of money at you, and it's a program that you think you can have success at, like, you know, maybe he thinks that he could win there, especially with the ACC kind of being a little bit susceptible now. It looks like uh, maybe at the top of it. So uh, there's going to be a lot of possibilities for a lot of these different coaches for sure. But I, the one thing I want to say about Oregon is definitely watch them in the tournament. And you know, I said two weeks ago I was going to bet Oregon every single game from here on out. Uh, but now all of a sudden the power numbers are starting to get carried away and they're getting going to be bigger and bigger favorites. But that's that you mentioned them coming together. That's just what they do. Every single year, right around this time, they all of a sudden just start getting really good because all the all the talent is meshing together. Obviously, Dana Altman is a really really good coach, uh, and and this time of year, they are playing their best basketball every single season. It's crazy. It's time for The Three, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. All right, what are you doing? That's supposed to play at 3 o'clock. Yeah, I'm kidding. I, uh, <laughs> I completely forgot about it. Our good buddy, Dustin DeHart uh, and Nova Home Loans, presents all of the headlines today a little bit later. So you got scores from the Pac-12. Uh, and by the way, the game going on right now, UCLA up 10 on Oregon State at the half. UCLA 34 to 24. And one of the big headlines of the day, we got to go to the hockey world. So, Marc Andre Fleury, COVID list at like the worst time. Robin Leonard ain't ready to come back yet. So, the Knights are going to be dealing with something here on the goalie front, maybe for at least a couple of days. Yeah, we don't know again. Uh, you, you never know until a team tells you or a player tells you. And it usually doesn't happen in this case. But, uh, COVID list could be tracing, could be. Um, any kind of break of protocol could be a positive test. You don't really know. So we will find out, we think, um, in the next couple of days. But the, the Golden Knights have back-to-back games coming up on the road Friday, Saturday. Seems unlikely uh, that Marc-Andre Fleury would play. I will tell you right now that uh, the overnight line at a couple of different sports books has been taken down. Uh, there's not a whole lot of, uh, not a, not a whole lot of um, clarity on the situation, but I, I would expect Fleury misses at least those two games and, uh, the Knights have to figure out some uh, combination of Logan Thompson, who came into the game for Flurry last night, who was on the road with the Knights, and calling up Oscar Dansk, who uh, has been with the Knights for much of the year as the backup, but hasn't got a whole lot of playing time. Uh, did get that uh, start the other day. Uh, do they bring? You know, is it him? And uh, you know, they they try to get him some starts down in Henderson and try to get him some playing time to stay fresh. 
Uh, so really a, a complicated situation for the Knights here uh, to try to figure out over the next couple of days, but they certainly hope that this is a contact issue and it's a short-term thing and not a positive test, which could linger uh, for a couple of weeks. Nova Home Loans brings you the three. It's a refi raid at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Ah, it's crazy today. We've got Marc-Andre Fleury on the COVID list. We're tracking the Mountain West Conference Tournament in town, the Pac-12 Tournament in town. Also, Raiders visitors yeah. on the free agent front. A.J. Bouye has left without a deal. Uh-oh. <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, but let's get into our weekly draft spot. Austin Gale's up here in just a second from PFF.com. Your wish list was? Marcus Williams, number one, two, and three on the Raiders' wish list for free agents. Now what? Not going to happen. He is a, a franchise player now, which I was very surprised by. Uh, the Saints doing that. Also, Marcus May, another guy that I thought there'd be some interest in for the Raiders. Not going to happen there either. Uh, he got a franchise tag as well. So uh, Raiders are going to be looking in other directions for what I think is a very important uh, position for them. Uh, but let's get into some potential draft possibilities uh, for the Raiders and what they might do, especially, you know, potentially in the secondary. Austin Gale, PFF draft expert, joins us uh, once again does a great great work for us and for pff uh you can check that out up on profootballfocus.com how you doing man doing great man how about yourself uh, i'm good uh i'm doing better than maybe the raiders are with a little bit of a changing of focus uh, with some of these safeties being franchised first of all were you surprised that that marcus williams got a franchise tag from the saints Absolutely. I don't understand how Mickey Loomis is performing literal wizardry with the cap. I think if it says anything, they're very interested in keeping him on an extension. I don't think they're in a very good place to pay him, what, the $10.8 million in 2021 on the, on the tag. I think they'd have to extend him and give him a base salary closer to 3 or $4 million and kick some of that money down the road. If he plays on the tag in 2021... I, they're going to have to extend Marshawn Lattimore. They might have to extend Ramchek. They might have to cut some more players. Like, it would be very interesting if he actually does play on the tag, and I think he's going to use that to his leverage. It's like, hey, you guys don't want to play me on the tag, so I think he could get a long-term extension before the deadline there. I think that was definitely surprising. Well, is it wizardry, or is it is it a mistake? Are they are they backing themselves into a corner with some of these deals? You know, I, I, until, you know until you see them you know significantly – losing football games, drafting inside the top five, top ten. I don't think you can call anything Loomis has done over the past few years a mistake. I think, obviously, he tried to shoot the moon with Drew Brees, similar to what the Broncos kind of did with Peyton Manning. It's just Brees felt, Brees's arm kind of fell off a little bit earlier. You know, you saw his you know ability to throw down the football field very, very much not the same of what we've seen in previous years. And now it's going to be interesting to see how they approach this rebuild. I think they're looking more to reload and have a lot of faith in what Sean Payton can do with a Taysom Hill or maybe bringing Jameis Winston back. But it's going to be easier said than done. You know, Drew Brees is a big reason why they consistently won football games in the NFC South. They're going to need to try and make a move at quarterback if Jason Hill doesn't pan out either. So the Raiders could be looking safety in the draft now instead of being able to do it through free agents, even though there's a couple guys out there. Uh, first round doesn't seem very likely, right? I don't know that there's a first-round safety, especially where they are picking in the draft this year. Yeah, Trayvon Morig is the TCU safety, uh, one of the better deep safety prospects who can do a lot of different things. He's ranked 17th on PFS sports, so right at that 17th figure. I don't think the value 
makes a ton of sense. I think safety is one of the lowest paid positions in the NFL on the open market, so much that spending a first-round pick and therefore a cost-controlled rookie contract in such a low-value position would not be something I suggest. However, Raiders have done that before with Jonathan Abram, who doesn't even play deep safety. He plays in the box, which is even lower value than deep safety. Let's not get in draft mistakes, though. Um, I think moving safety to day two and trying to pick up some value there I think makes a lot more sense. Our Darius Washington of TCU ranks in the 40s on PFS draft board. There's also Elijah Molden of Washington who can play both deep safety, box safety, or in the slot. I think he's got a lot of talent, a lot of versatility. And then Richie Grant of UCF, a guy that I talked to on my podcast recently, one of the smarter players I've talked to this offseason that can do a lot of different things in the NFL. I think he comps in PFS draft guide to Tyron Matthew and that he can just do a lot of different things and that he can play in the box, play in the spot, and I think that, again, has a ton of value in the NFL. You mentioned a guy like uh, Ardarius Washington, which I've heard uh, the name pop up. Uh, how much is there a concern, maybe, or how can we judge uh, the fact that he's playing alongside Morig, which makes his job maybe a little bit easier? You know, I think there's definitely that. I also think TCU has turned out a lot of quality defensive back talent in recent years, including Jeff Gladney. But they play so much too high looks there and a lot of quarters coverage so that he is asked to do a lot of different zone principles. I think if you ask him to play man coverage or if you ask him to play more single high looks, you're not going to like what you see. I think he belongs in that kind of two high system, which, of course, Gus Bradley doesn't run. He runs a lot of two, you know single high, and then he's going to have a safety come up in the box. It's going to be Jonathan Abram. Like, it doesn't really make a ton of sense or not that big of a fit for Washington to come in unless they're looking for someone to compete with what Abram brings to the table, which I highly doubt. That's why I think their eyes are locked on guys that can play deep safety. That's Trayvon Morig of TCU. I think Richie Grant can play deep safety at the next level. Andre Cisco is a name to think about as well, a guy that has legit 4-3 speed, all the size in the world, and the you know range to play deep safety. The problem is the kid's a roller coaster, and they don't need two roller coasters on the back end. I can't. I don't want to keep dragging down the neighbor's name to the coals, but you need guys that are disciplined on the back end. If you're playing deep safety, you need to be disciplined. You are the safety. You are supposed to be safe. You can't. You can't give up big plays. And Cisco, while a game, you know, a game-changing type of talent, a guy that makes a ton of plays on the football, will also give up a lot of big plays. And I think they're looking to go in the opposite direction there. For sure. Well, I mean, you've kind of referenced a little bit with some of these answers, but uh, the, the system that Gus Bradley is putting in, uh, Abram will most likely be paying, playing much closer to the line of scrimmage, maybe taking advantage of what he can do. I mean, they need to find something that he could do uh, after a couple of years here uh, with the Raiders. Uh, but how important is that other safety position, that deep safety position, for what he wants to do? And, and like, could they afford to go with a rookie at this point, or do they need a veteran? No, they need. I, I don't think it would be smart to bring safety, a rookie safety, to play deep. Um, in year one, especially in the safety class, because you don't again, you don't want to necessarily reach on Morig, and you want to you need to add value at other more valuable positions like offensive tackle, especially after releasing Trent Brown. So I don't think it makes sense for just Bradley to target you know a rookie to play that position. You know who does make sense is the guy who's played in this defense at a high level. It's Trey Boston, a guy that's bounced around the league a handful of times but knows how to play deep safety at a high level. I think they could go into the safety market, into free agency, and look for some guys that can play on the deep end. Xavier Woods of the Dallas Cowboys, or formerly of the Dallas Cowboys, is a free agent they could pursue. I also, I mean, you got Malik Hooker there, that if he can stay healthy, he's a dog. I mean, you got a lot of talent here in free agency where I think that's where Gus Bradley's probably thinking. I think that's what the Raiders are thinking. I doubt they're going to look to pursue a starter at free safety in this draft. Uh, real, real quick, we've, we've talked a lot about the safeties here, but um, we'll, t- we'll go in-depth on some of the offensive linemen, but have the Raiders backed themselves in? Like, I know people are going to be mad if they go offense, but they have to take a lineman at some point in this draft. 
I think so, and it's not necessarily the end of the world. This is a very good offensive tackle class. Right now there are eight offensive tackles ranked inside PFS top 40, and I think at 17, if you see a Rashawn Slater of Northwestern start to slip or if Christian Derrissaw is there at 17, I can see them sprinting the card in because it's, again, a very, a very valuable position. I think I've said it on this show before, but looking at the past three years of Gruden slash Mayock drafts, Colt Miller is arguably their best pick, and he hasn't even been that good. The, pro- the, the fact is that he's been average to above average. And when you have an average to above average offensive tackle on a rookie deal, that's a fantastic pick because offensive tackles on the open market cost a ton of money, as we saw when they paid Trent Brown to literally be the highest-paid offensive tackle in the NFL at the time. You pay offensive tackles a lot of money on the open market. So to get a guy that can come in like Colton Miller and play at an average-to-above-average level early in his career, that's always going to lead to a positive return on investment. And I think you could see that with a Derrissaw at 17, or if they trade down and pick Kevin Jenkins of Oklahoma State or Sam Cosney of Texas. I could see them pursuing tackle in the first round because, again, it's a very valuable position. Should they pursue pass rusher? Absolutely. It's not going to work with Gus Bradley if they can't rush the passer. Austin, another great spot, man. We appreciate it. Get up to uh, PFF.com. You can check out uh, stories like draft versus free agency, uh, where to best address the biggest needs for all 32 NFL teams. Thank you, Austin. Of course. Thank you. There you go. Austin Gale. PFF.com is the site. Halftime, game two of the Mountain West Conference quarterfinals. Reno 51-45 to over Boise. How about this? First half is in, 96 total points. Rebound edge is 13-11. I don't think I've heard of that before. Huh. 56% shooting by Reno. 69% shooting by Boise. Nice. But because uh, Reno went 9 of 13 from deep, they've got a six-point lead. On the way back, we're going to get a little more into the uh, contract that the Cowboys just gave to Dak Prescott. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's time to Trust Us. Presented by Dustin DeHart at Nova Home Loans. Call him today at 577-2600. It's that time to talk to uh, Dustin DeHart. Busy, busy day down here at Silver 7's. All the college basketball going on, but there's always some stuff to talk about in the world of real estate and the NFL and fantasy football, so we lean on Dustin for that. Dustin, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Steve. So we have we do so many spots. I appreciate that. We do so many spots on the high end real estate market, and uh, you know, folks like uh, Tom Brady and uh, Ellen making all this money. But reality is, much of our audience we're talking middle and lower middle class, and you know, buying a house now is not easy. And there's also a big housing shortage in Las Vegas. And you know, I've been trying to get this onto the show for a couple of weeks, but I'm really I'm fascinated by the possibilities of this story out of L.A. from about a month ago talking about shuttered strip malls and chain retailers and big box stores, you know, and Vegas has a lot of these strip malls that don't have anything imminent right now. The idea in LA, Dustin, is that you could actually change that over to residential um, and, and try to increase the housing volume, especially for people who need condos and apartments. Is that possible here in Vegas? Well, it's, it's certainly possible. Um, there's some hurdles, obviously, you know, the, the cost to retrofit, uh, a big commercial space into residential would be a very expensive endeavor, to say the least. Um, then there's a zoning issue, right? Usually malls are, you know, they're flanked by uh, other outlets, you know, and stores. So it's zone commercial. But I would assume that that wouldn't be too big of a hurdle. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Steve, you hit the nail on the head, man. There is just such a shortage of housing right now. 
get this there's in and it's not just vegas it's it's throughout the whole country there's less than a million houses for for uh for sale right now in our country and to take that in perspective before the mortgage meltdown hit there was over three million houses for sale and there was way more households now than there were back then i mean it is it is really a crisis that doesn't get enough attention and you know man we i just i i live and see it every single day i mean there are people that have to put more i mean you cannot get a house nowadays steve by just putting in a clean offer like if they want 250 for it and you go i'll pay 250 i don't need any closing costs you you won't even get looked at i mean mm-hmm. we see contracts coming in every single day where there's an addendum saying they'll pay over 10 grand appraisal, you know, contingency 15 grand. I mean, that's what you have to do. I, I saw one the other day that said they, they'd pay the seller's transfer tax, which is normally a, a seller cost and their owner's title policy, which added up to about 7,000 and they would pay over $20,000 over appraised value. I mean, it's, it's nuts. I mean, in fact, I just got off the phone yesterday with a, with a, or excuse me, last week with a gentleman, he's looking in an age restricted community. He's, he's retired. And I told him, well, thankfully, you're going to have a lot better chance of not going over sales price and getting a clean offer accepted. You know, because look, you know, there's only a handful of people that are going to be, you know, looking in an age restricted community. And his real estate agent, they, they put in six offers and he finally had to bid 15 grand over the sales price just to get an offer accepted. I mean, it wow. really is a crisis. So we need some housing. And even the new the new home, you know, the builders aren't catching up because the cost of uh, buildings gone up. So it's it's really a, a problem that we're I don't see a, a, a quick fix here either because just supply is dwindling in this town. I mean, we're losing about 200 houses a week right now and we're under a month's supply of houses it, it really is a crisis so if we could fill that void somehow you know like malls are a dying breed it's a dinosaur that's probably never going to come back so it's a great idea I, i'd like to see it uh, you know put forth and see if it actually comes to fruition so what all that means is that a lot more people have to rent so then it's a renter's market and it means that uh, rent prices are through the freaking roof. It's yeah. it's hard to find yeah. an affordable rental. I saw this one was really interesting, um, and it you know it has to a lot to do with uh, just livable wages. Um, sure. According to the New Yorker, there isn't a state in the U.S. in which a person working full time for minimum wage can afford a one bedroom apartment at fair market rent, according to a recent report. Um, yeah. So this is interesting for folks who have some money to invest and maybe they can't afford a house to rent out mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. hottest market right now might be trailers in trailer parks had you heard of this that people are scooping up trailers because yeah. they're like hey you know what maybe i can't afford a house that's four hundred thousand dollars to rent out yeah. but maybe i can get a trailer to rent out yeah no i i have heard of it and you know we we do manufactured loans i i've before this, I've kind of passed on those. I'll give them to somebody in my branch that, you know, they, they're a different animal. You, you have to know quite a few things to get those, you know, get those through through underwriting. Um, but I've seen more manufactured deals come across my desk in the last 12 months than I have in my whole career. So, I mean, that's manufactured property, not trailers. But, yeah, I mean, it's Steve, again, that look, that's for people making minimum wage. Do you know how many people I see that make the median income level, let's say 55000 a year, right? A normal living. You know, if they have a car payment and, you know, student debt's uh, just killing people right now. They have some student loans. 
uh, student loan debts killing people. You know, they they don't qualify for pr- pretty much anything over two hundred thousand, and you can't find a house for two hundred thousand in this town. You know, so they have to look at condos or townhomes. But then that comes with one hundred and fifty dollar a month or two hundred dollar a month HOA. So really, they can only afford a hundred and twenty five thousand dollar condo. I mean, it is it's it. Our property values are going through the roof because of what we just said. There's very little supply. I mean, just last month alone, we went up another $10,000 in February, which is unheard of. We usually go down in the winter months. Our property values have now climbed to 355000 That's the median resale price. I mean, there is, it is mind-boggling how many people I see every single day that have really no business trying to approve for the loan. But what are they going to do? They, they don't know any better. And it's, it's, a, it's a really tough phone call to make to say, yeah, I know you make $55,000 a year, but that car payment, some student loans, a couple of credit cards, you really don't qualify for anything. Mm. And it's, it's, it's not getting fixed. And it's, yeah, and it's going back to the affordable housing problem. We, we need some houses and we need some affordable houses. And that's not happening right now. It's crazy. You got to call up Dustin. You can get the answers. He'll, uh, he'll run all the numbers. If you're in a house now, you can get a mortgage tune-up. If you're looking for an option, he'll give you all your options out there. Call 577-2600. It's 577-2600. Dustin DeHart from Nova Home Loans. All right. Well, we always go back to the, the higher end. And you know what, Dustin, you're doing well. You're on the higher end. Um, I did want you to tell people about you. You actually purchased a rental property on Mount Charleston, and maybe that's not top of mind for people, but I think you just got in there recently, and you said, what, last night you stayed there? Well, actually, that's a second home for us. Uh, we did okay. buy a couple rental properties last last year. Um, great deals, condo, one in Summerlin and one in Green Valley. Actually, the people we bought, uh, bought them from that were the, the original owners, and they're older, and they said, oh, we just want to. We actually want to rent it and basically stay here the rest of our life. So we really got wow. lucky there. This was a second home purchase. And Steve, you know, I, I work a lot. I can't go anywhere. We've always wanted to buy a second home. And this just made sense. It's in it's in Mount Charleston. It's about 30 or 45 minutes from my office. It's it's a beautiful house. It's all windows. It's yeah, we stayed there last night. It was almost surreal just because it, it I'm like, I can't believe I own this. And you know, it was a blizzard happening. It's just it was it, it felt, it felt really? like I was in a different a different world. Yeah. And I got a guy plowing the streets for the snow and no just way. the scenery. It was just it was unbelievable. So yeah, we're really, really thankful. And, uh, you know, my wife's up there right now getting things in order. And it's just, it's been a lot of work. But when you buy a big house like that, you don't realize how much you actually have to uh, buy. for It's a, another house, you know. Like, <laughs> I, I was on Amazon the other day going, I need that, I need that, I need that. And I'm like, oh, that's a lot of money. It's, it's crazy. But it's uh, it's beautiful. And uh, we're very thankful we have it. And uh, second home purchases, they've gone through the roof as well, Steve. It's, we're up 100% on second home purchases from the pandemic, I, it's just people are out there buying new houses. It's crazy. So it sounds like you highly recommend people looking at Mount Charleston as a uh, even even <laughs> yeah. as a getaway even as a getaway spot for yeah. a quick rental. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, look, I mean, when it's 110, you know where I'm going to be. I'll be uh, hanging out in Mount Charleston, 75 degree weather. I can't there, wait. There you go. We'll be calling you uh, up to Mount Charleston. <laughs> uh, let's close on this. Right. Dustin yeah. Hart is with us. He talks to us every week. Yeah. Our trust us spot. Uh, during football season and right before football season, we're talking fantasy football. And listen, there's fantasy football and then there's real football. Dak Prescott mm-hmm. this year in fantasy football will probably be at the back end of the QB1s because of the injury. 
my lord, yeah. he cashed in. The Cowboys blew this in terms of negotiations. They dragged it out too long. Dak gets $160 million, $126 million guaranteed, $75 million up front. In a way, it feels like the Cowboys got played a little bit here. And now they've got a real challenge, Dustin DeHart, of trying to put together a team, you know, like the – uh, Seahawks have faced, like the Packers face. Yep. I'm not sure Jerry and Steve Jones are going to be able to have a, a really good defense with all this money they're devoted on offense to Zeke and Dak and Amari Cooper. Yeah. Well, they got their guys, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's put up or shut up time, right? Yeah. I, it feels like we've been talking about Dak Prescott contract for 10 years now, doesn't it? Yeah. Like it's the, the most highly publicized contract dispute I've ever seen. And good for him, man. He stuck to his guns. It paid off for him. Uh, yeah, and you're right. Let's see what happens now because now you got to fill the defense and the line, and uh, you know, that money just doesn't come out of nowhere. So they're going to have to draft well. But uh, Dak's great, great quarterback. So they got their guy finally, and uh, I'm always for the player. I hope he does well, gets through this injury, and uh, you know gets the gets the Cowboys into playoff contention again. And uh, you know we'll see. They got their guys now, and it's time to do it. Dustin, let's close by uh, telling our listeners about the latest with the mortgage tune-ups. Yeah, look, you know, for the last six weeks, I've been telling you guys uh, that rates have been going up. And, uh, you know, they've kind of drawn the line in the sand a little bit, Steve. They're starting to come back down a little bit. It was a little knee-jerk reaction, um, you know, no for, for no reason whatsoever for them going up, just inflation fears. So they are starting to look. They go up like a rocket and they come down like a feather, but they are heading in the right direction. They're still really low. So if you haven't called me for that mortgage tuned up, uh, I highly suggest you do. We can still get you a very low interest rate. And again, if you're out there looking for a home, uh, we have a, something called a pledge approval. We can help you get your offer accepted. We basically tell the seller we're going to we'll guarantee we'll close on time and guarantee your earnest money. And it's uh, helping people in this challenging market right now. So give us a call. Thank you, Dustin. Excellent spot. Oops, I think he dropped off there. It's Dustin DeHart, 577-2600 from Nova Home Loans. We're about two hours away from tip of UNLV and Utah State. Curtis Terry rejoins us to give us a preview of the game against the second-seeded Aggies. Trust Us is presented by Dustin DeHart at Nova Home Loans. Call today at 577-2600 to learn how to purchase a home with $20,000 in down payment assistance. Dial up Dustin now, 577-2600.